Welcome to the Redeem Evangelical Mission Tram Atlanta. This is a place where we gather together in quality praise and worship of the true and living God. Equipped with the world of God for growth and fellowship with one another. God bless you as you listen to this message. It is with Jesus' joy in my heart to be back at home in the Redeemed Evangelical Mission flagship right here in Lagos, Nigeria. And with that beautiful woman that married me 27 years ago, something like that, we together celebrate this moment of being here with Big Daddy and Big Mummy, and they are the most gracious people you will ever find on earth for being so gracious to all of us over the years and for not only teaching the word of his grace but exemplifying it to the body of Christ we honor you and 40 years of indefatigable ministry is worthy of great celebration and because we are a part of that trim all over the world over 81 viewing centers let's celebrate the patriarch of this great house and the matriarch too for this incredible that has not only shaped the body of christ in nigeria blaze trails and established pathways for us to find our way forward not only in christ but towards destiny the presiding bishop of the redeemed evangelical mission dr michael Konkwo, many many happy returns of 40 years and we still need you for at least 20 at least 20 more and we honor all the great princes of this great house younger young and older we bless all of you in many ways if you will take a bible and turn with me to hebrews the fourth chapter and we'll begin our reading at the third verse but please put a bookmark there and our first reading is in Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14 and I read in your hearing Pastor Chuka thank you for being such a blessing to all of us I was wondering how God would help me to come behind that. So when something is so great, just take a different direction. So I'm going to teach. He preached. Matthew 7 and verse 13. Jesus speaks and I read. Enter ye in at the straight gate. It's my custom to stand for the reading of the word of God. You will please do stand. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, or narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Some of the most misunderstood scriptures in the Bible Hebrews 4 and 
I'll be reading from verse 1, just four verses. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works, pay attention to this, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Another version says, all his works were finished from before the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. My subject this evening is simply rest. Help me and elbow four or five people and tell them if you rest, God's machine will work. Say it again to two or three more people. If you rest, God's machine will work. And I want to speak in consonance with 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9. The anchor text for this conference. The message reads, If the government of condemnation was impressive, how about the government of affirmation? The New Living Translation reads, If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God. And the King James says, For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness or justification exceed in glory. Father, from between the horns of the unicorn, in the secret places of thunder, we ask that you would come forth to your people, even as the oracles of the promise-keeping God. Help now this weak servant and take on the nimbleness of mind, the agility of thought, and use that weakness to bring forth the perfection of your strength as we feed the flock of God around the world this Thursday evening in jesus name everybody who believes please say a big amen and as you reach for your seat help me and tell one more person rest i'm glad to announce this evening that the future of the gospel and of christianity is going to be amazing and brilliant hell is not going to be more populous than heaven Heaven's population will exceed the population of hell. And that means between now and the closing of the church age, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will shine gloriously across the reaches of the earth and liberate so many people till the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. Regrettably, some people believe that only a few people will make it into heaven. That is a cataclysmic untruth. 
and it falls on this generation of the church to take the responsibility to ensure that this great gospel shines brilliantly in the caverns and cavities of every nook and cranny of society and civilization, civilization and the world at large. And uh, the reason why there's a belief that hell will outpopulate heaven is all because of a misinterpretation of a popular verse in scripture. Uh, and this misinterpretation has been undertaken by very sincere Bible teachers uh, who, though sincere, they were sincerely inaccurate in their hermeneutics. Matthew 7 verse 13 and 14 declares, and I reread in your hearing, that we are called to enter into the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate, but broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in through the broad gate. Because narrow is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. The challenge here is that many believe that these two verses are totally about heaven and earth. And that many will go to hell and few will make it into heaven. But this scripture has nothing to do with hell and heaven. The question now is, Pastor, are you telling the truth? Let's examine the word. First, this is not talking about heaven and hell. He's talking about broad is the way that leads to destruction in this life. What destruction? He's not talking about spiritual destruction, but he's in fact talking about destruction in the lifetime, in the lifetime. He's talking about a, a belief system that causes one to enter into destruction economically, reputationally, uh, relationally, financially, maritally, uh, uh, civilizationally, and otherwise. Uh, they are still saved, but they, 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 they uh, are rescued from heaven and saved eternally. Hallelujah. So the broad gate it leads to a destruction that causes perplexity in every area of somebody's life so that even though they are on their way to heaven they have trouble whilst they're here on earth and jesus said it this way in john 10 and 10 he said the thief is come to steal to kill and to destroy but I am come that you might have church on Sunday mornings and have a beautiful time every time the church gathers. No, he said that you might have life and have it more abundantly with intent to refer to the quality of our life, not because we go to church, but because we are the church. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, seven days a week, uh, 31 days in a month and 365 days in a year. So what is the narrow way? Because yet many Christians uh, are on the broad way that leads to destruction. What is the narrow way? I'll show you today what I believe the Bible means when it says narrow is the way that leads to life and uh, few there be that find it. It's not talking about the life to come. He's talking about this life. 
He's talking about the very now and now. Verse 14 says, narrow is the way that leads to life. And that word life is the word zoe in the Greek. And it is not the combination of two words, zoen ananios or anavios, which means life eternal. He doesn't use that word here. He uses simply the word life. Allow me to land. I'm coming. So nowhere does Jesus say anywhere in the Bible that few there be who will find eternal life. He only says here concerning this life that few will find it. He says narrow is the way that leads to life, not narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Many believers are on the wrong road but they will still be in heaven because they have christ they have believed upon him they've believed upon his finished atoning work but they are on the road to destruction what destruction do you mean paul physically destruction emotional destruction financial destruction career destruction relational destruction reputational destruction and the likes but he was not speaking about spiritual damnation for example noah's ark the way into the protection that god had provided for those who would believe on him and on the preaching of noah was one door a narrow door into the ark of the covenant there were not ten doors or five doors or three there was only one door and noah's ark had only one door in it and John 10 and verse 9 declares in John 10 and verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So Jesus is the door. And that one door is an equalizer so that the giraffes, the elephants, uh, the rabbits, the squirrels, uh, the lions, the lionesses, they all had to enter in through that one door. And they were saved from the destruction on the outside so that they are preserved by the protection of the ark on the inside. Can I go a little further? I want to reverse the mindset that says there are few in that heaven only has a few people there. The Bible says in Revelation 7, and I'm going to read for you verse 9 and 10, that after this I beheld and lo a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood in front of the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in the righteousness of the saints, the white robes and with palms in their hands. Hallelujah to God. And verse 10 says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. The important part to underscore there, my friends, is simply this. There were people from every nation, and it was a number that could not be counted. That means to say, friends, the end of the story, even here on earth, is that God is going to sweep the earth with the gospel of his righteousness, with the gospel of his kingdom, with the gospel of no condemnation for those who have a life in Christ, and I embedded, imbued with him, and he in them, that for them, my friends, they are set free from the Lord 
law of sin and death and that law is a law that is called in the scriptures an administration of death but the gospel we preach is an administration of life and the free gift of righteousness gives us access to that great gospel so going further this evening I want to make it clear that God can save anybody at any time that he wants to. There was a fellow on one of the crosses beside Christ on Calvary's brow. And uh, the fellow looked at Christ and recognized that there was something about him uh, that defined him as very God of very God. And the other fellow said, well, if you are the Christ... Why don't you bring yourself down now and bring us down also? And uh, the fellow on that side now says to the master, Remember me when you come into your paradise, into your father's kingdom. And he said, This day, referring to mankind, you will be with me in heaven. Hallelujah to God. In other words, the thief that taught this guy to become a thief... Uh, was going to go through the gates to hell but this fellow here because of Christ was going to come into an intended expressed eternal experience with God on heaven's stable shore please give me a witness somebody and uh, he didn't come down to make retribution uh, he didn't come down to make repentance uh, right there and then he was given a place in glory we hear across northern nigeria in the arab world uh, that many encounter christ without the gospel being preached to them uh, other than by christ who appears to them hallelujah and they become saved and they'll make their way into heaven there will be many surprises uh, in glory jesus said my sheep hear my voice and the voice of another they will not hear he didn't say i teach them to hear my voice he didn't say that they, they get to learn how to hear my voice because hearing the voice of god is instinctive for everyone who is born again and born from above and born because of their faith in christ jesus you are born with hearing apparatus a mother does not teach her child how to hear her voice the child instinctively knows the voice of his mother even though he initially doesn't understand it but with time he begins to understand it because he hears the syntax he hears the verbiage he understands the vocabulary he is god inside you and he's there unlike in the old testament he lives on the inside so he communicates with you from the internals he speaks to you from the inside and he doesn't necessarily only speak in words he simply holds your peace or withdraws it uh, he simply prompts you and leads you and guides you so you know this is the right way to go that's not the right way to go he doesn't necessarily speak in English all the time or your native tongue he simply just guides Romans 8 and verse 14 the Bible there says that as many as are led by the Spirit they are the sons of God so hearing the mother's voice is instinctive for the baby the mother doesn't teach the baby how to hear her voice that's never done my mother never taught me how to hear instinctively i grew in understanding her voice and i grew to know her voice apart from everybody else's voice the problem with god's children is not that we cannot hear the voice of god it's that we don't want to hear it 
Can I get a witness, please? So he tells us that uh, we, we must mix the word of God with faith and harden not our hearts as in the day of provocation in the wilderness. Because, friend, uh, if you are living as a fraudster and part of the system that uh, depletes the treasury of our nation, most likely you don't want to hear the voice of God. Even though it's a loving, kind voice, an encouraging voice that knows how to be positive and not negative in the mode of correction, we often don't want to hear that voice. His voice, nevertheless, will keep coming. It's always broadcasting. He's always speaking to the specificity of our need, our circumstance, and our situation. And he does so as one who loves you. And you can hear, but, but many times we don't want to hear. Hallelujah to God. Uh, so we eventually come to a place where because of the hardness of our hearts, we might miss something down the road. So what is the narrow way? What is the broad way? We need to find out because we don't want to be on the path to destruction. Don't forget, this path to destruction is not the path to eternal damnation. Because once you have Christ, you stand forever favored in the righteousness of God. How many here are standing permanently in the righteousness of God? It's a permanent thing. Once, once you are born again and have believed on Christ, you stand perpetually favored. That favor never leaves your life. The enemy will try to convince you otherwise, and therefore you may not walk in the favor that you have, but you do have that favor. So you stand permanently in the grace and favor of God. So to the, to, to the believer, the broad way that leads to destruction should have nothing to do with our lives our pathway should be the narrow pathway and that pathway is not a pathway that leads to heaven in heaven it leads to heaven on earth can i get a witness so let's examine what jesus said the broad way leads to destruction whilst the narrow way leads to life hallelujah to god so let's look at what he said he said in John 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Let's note that and then we go to Matthew 11 verse 28. He says, come unto me, this is Jesus speaking, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest for your soul. What does that rest mean? What does it mean? It says, I will give you rest. Verse 29, you will find rest for your emotions, for your mind, and for your volition. So what is the blessing that Jesus said that he came to give? Simple. First point of call there is Matthew 7, 14. Jesus is the door and the gate that leads to life here and now. That means the abundant life because you know we can get really happy in church really glad when we're under the auspices of an anointed word and an anointed gift that's speaking but on monday do we still have that lovely feeling do we still have that great sense of the glory of god in our midst and he says the door to the gate that leads to life is christ john 10 10 
He says that when he comes to us, he comes with abundant life. Matthew 11 verse 28, Christ says, I will give you rest. So life, my friends, hallelujah, abundant life is rest. It's about rest. Too many people get into the gyration of works, 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 toil, 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 toil. And the result is that we don't have inner rest. The narrow way is not only the way to life, it is the way of rest. And by rest, I'm not talking about laying down nice and easy on your sofa or relaxing on your nice mattress. No, I, I speak of the rest of your soul where your soul is at peace, has every confidence that when you pray to God, he's not going to get up off his throne and start working on your behalf. Hallelujah to God. That everything he's ever going to do for you, he has already done. He has settled it in heaven. It's on its way to you. And your position for receiving is to rest. Because by worry, we cannot add any stature to any dimension, aspect, or facet of our lives. When you rest, the machine that God, the engineer of creation's blessing, begins to work on your behalf. But when you work, his machinery goes to rest. It's critical. So, it's the way of rest. The world, in its entirety, is on the Broadway of works, works mentality. Toil, toil, labor, labor. And this is all the result of Adam's fall. God said to Adam in Genesis 3, verse 18 and 19, Genesis 3, verse 18 and 19, that because of the failure of Adam through sin, that thorns and thistles shall the earth bring forth to you, Adam, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return unto the ground. For out of the ground were you taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. If we grasp this, we understand that the sentence or the judgment of this curse was that there will be internal unrest, inward restlessness, inward and internal sorrow, uh, with its attendant stress and anxiety. Hallelujah. Medical science teaches us that most disease is psychosomatic. By psychosomatic, we simply mean that it's the result of anxiety, stress, and worry. Because we're worrying about this, worrying about, worrying about the other, worrying about transportation, worrying about accommodation, worrying about finances, especially in a country like Nigeria. And that worry, he tells us, doesn't add any value to your life. In fact, worry repels what God is sending to you. Anxiety repels what God is bringing to you. Glory to God. So God wants you inwardly free from works. He wants you inwardly free from anxiety. God wants us to be at rest so that we're never perturbed or disturbed but momentarily about anything. And what he's saying in the combination of our text is that rest is the way that leads to life. It leads to life more abundant which Jesus 
said he came to bring that life to us. Does God want you to have a nice and a beautiful house? I think so. Go with me to Deuteronomy 6 and verse 10. Does he want you to have what you couldn't buy and what you couldn't build and what you couldn't produce by yourself? I, I think so. He says, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought you into the land. To them the land was Canaan. To us the land is Jesus Christ. When he brings you into the land which he swear unto your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, to give you great and goodly cities which you did not build. Hallelujah. I don't know who I'm preaching to on tonight, but somebody's going to end up in lodgings and dwellings and houses that you couldn't afford, that you couldn't build, that you couldn't buy because you didn't have a pocket for it. But your daddy's pocket, your daddy's purse strings are much more than capable of giving you what you could not work for of bringing you into what you could not buy of presenting to you what you could not extract by yourself for grace will work alongside you to ensure that everything God gave you you don't have to work for it you just get to receive it our work is not to try to get anything our work is to believe hallelujah to God that's why he said labor to enter into God's rest that labor is a mental thing of shifting our mindsets from the way of the world and establishing our mindset in an understanding that god has already given you everything i love to pray but i realized that in much of my prayer life i was asking god for stuff and one day he stopped me and he spoke into my heart in this wise and he said you're asking me for stuff that i have already given you i've given you the house i've given you the car i've given you the faith i've given you the understanding it's already yours so you don't need to ask for it just declare it when you look at pauline prayer in the scriptures new testament prayer is different from old testament prayer new testament prayer is always asking for light and light is not the opposite of darkness darkness is the absence of light and once you have light, then we can see clearly what is already in you, what God has already supplied to us, what is already ours. So we decree it. And this decree is faith in force to take back what the enemy has deceived us into believing is not ours. It's a state of rest. It's a state of rest. It's a state of rest. He goes on to tell us, in verse 11 that he's going to give you houses full of good things which you did not feel yourself he also wants to tell us that he'll give us wells that we did not dig ourselves vineyards and olive orchards that we did not plant in other words everything is ready for you it's about you and I coming through the narrow gate into this place called life, which essentially is the rest of God. And I want to get there in a few moments. Hallelujah. It's a life of rest. Hallelujah to God. Salvation simply begins by you resting in what Christ did on Calvary's tree. That's how it happens. You believe i'm not going to go to hell why because christ became one of us 
took my identity substituted himself in my place in the dock of judgment so that all judgment for everything I've ever done wrong will ever do wrong and might be struggling with he put that judgment on himself so that God like Dr. Otobel said is both just and justifier so that he committed no crime in justifying the would-be righteous how did he do that uh, salvation was not cheap salvation was not free for him it was free for us you know why friend everything that you were worthy of judgment for when Christ came to the cross of Calvary he took all your judgment and left nothing out he paid the price for everything over the top far much more than you were deserving he absorbed it all so there remaineth no judgment for the child of God that's why we make bold to say like Paul that there is now therefore no and that word no is an absolute word it means there's no condemnation for those who are where in Christ how many of you are in Christ this morning then slap three or four neighbors uh, well I can't say a high five and tell them rest rest shout at somebody tell them rest if you don't rest it can't get to you but if you rest everything that god has for you is going to come in your direction pressed down shaken together and running over will god open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that blessing didn't get poured out two weeks ago or when you got happy or when you started believing that blessing was poured out before you came it was already released before you even got here shout out three people tell them you're already blessed you already got it going on i don't know who you are but somebody you already have the car just rest bishop i was in trouble i had started building a home my first home in this country uh living in rented apartments uh, until until now still now and I was worrying about the fund and I started to lean on the arm of flesh. A few close covenant sons who had made commitments and nothing was really moving. And I was so anxious about it because we had a deadline. And in spite of the deadline, nothing was coming. Promises were not made good. But in the mighty majesty of God's grace, God showed me, he said, rest. Stop being anxious don't be anxious about it and the more I was anxious the less would come but the moment I rested the kind of breakthrough that I had I can't tell you because somebody's gonna get jealous but it lapped up almost the entire cost and you know I don't do things big or I don't do things small lapped up the entire cost of what I'm about to complete but it only happened when I rested It only happens when you rest. Same thing with the little building that we were trying to build on the peninsula. The more anxious I was, the less the project moved. But once we rested, it started to come in, in droves. Everything we needed. So that we exceeded what we saw in our imagination. Hallelujah to God. Tell somebody you got to rest. You got to rest. You got to rest. It's all about a life of rest. Once you rest in what Christ has done, you, you, you get salvation. But just the same way that you get salvation, all of the blessings in the salvation package on earth, one person to earth, they also happen as a result of rest. That everything you need, at the time you need it, it is supplied. Hallelujah. The life of rest 
is a promise that God wants us to enter into. A lot of people, including too many Christians, do not know the narrow way because they think the narrow way is about going to heaven. Whereas the narrow way is about having abundant life here on earth. God wants you to be at rest because faith is rest. There are 365 fear knots in the Bible. One for every day, somebody said. I haven't checked that out myself. But the one thing God tells us to be afraid of is what? Hebrews 4, verse 1 to 4. Verse 1 says it clearly. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, and any of you should seem to come short of it. First thing is that if I promise you something, you didn't work for it. It was a promise. So the responsibility is on the promisor. And the promisee just simply receives what the promisor in his capacity and power says I will give you. Now if he's a credible and veritable uh, uh, giver, then you know that what he promises will certainly get to you. For example... If Bishop promises me something today, I know that I'm going to get it. As long as I rest, what he promised, I will receive. How much more the God, who is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should relent, if he said it, he has already made it good. If he spoke it, he will bring it to pass. How much more will he not ensure that first of all to protect the integrity of his person and the word of his integrity that you get it but also because he loves you i asked the lord i said why are you pushing me to decree things as opposed to petition you for things he said because isaiah 55 he tells us that in that day the new testament before you call, I will have answered. Whilst you are yet speaking, I will have heard. That means I didn't wait for you to start praying before I started acting. I'm an engineer. And that means that I set up all the systems so that everything you would ever need is already supplied. And it's waiting for you to come to a state of rest. And once you rest, it will arrive. Hallelujah. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I just came to unlock some windows and some doors. Not in heaven, because heaven's windows are already wide open. But unlock some windows and doors in the place where you are, so that everything that's coming to you, you can receive it. If our father's the wealthiest in the whole universe, then it makes some sense that we should never lack anything. It will receive all. Let's look at Hebrews 4, verse 1 to 4. Hebrews 4, verse 1 to 4. And he says, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to fall short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached. Hear this now. Abraham's boys heard the gospel too. As well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Why? They didn't believe it. They didn't mix it with faith. In them that heard it. Verse 3. For we which have believed enter into rest. So rest 
comes by faith as he said as i have sworn in my wrath my judgmental wrath if they shall enter into my rest although hear this now the works were finished from the foundation of the world so what happened my friends when god finished his work in six days on the seventh day he didn't sit down to rest because he was tired he doesn't get tired on the seventh day he rested why because all the days not just the first week the second week the third week the fourth week the first year the first century the first millennium all the millennia of time including today and tomorrow all the way till time is consumed in eternity he finished all his work and each one would play out like a live stream experience each one in its time that's why he sat down to watch the movie screen am i talking to somebody even christ when he died on the cross it had already happened as far as god was concerned before the foundation of the earth because friends when we say words like chosen we are suggesting that uh, god can choose but god cannot choose so the word chosen that you see in the new testament is what theologians call an anthropomorphism which means an attempt to describe something that didn't happen in heaven but we felt it happen here on earth because god is omniscient and an omniscient god uh, cannot learn anything because he knows everything and has always from whatever he began to be and we know he never begun to be he has always known everything ha hallelujah and so when he looks at your life he doesn't see what we see we see your now and we imagine your future and we might know your history if we knew your past but god when he looks at you he does not see just anything he sees everything in one glance hallelujah and when he treats you he treats you as a finished project even though he knows your process and has experienced it that's why he's always calm because he's rested and you are often anxious because you are not rested about tomorrow hallelujah to god can i get a witness from somebody so i panicked about so many things even in my christian surgeon but i tell you the truth everything i ever panicked about i had no business panicking because in hindsight he brought me through everything he settled me in every single area some battles were long i mean some right now some were shorter but everything we went through we got through because of this thing called rest hallelujah it's amazing that the things that God tells us not to be afraid of that's what we become afraid of the ones he tells us to be afraid of that's the one we refuse to be afraid of let's let's look at Hebrews 4 verse 2 again let's examine it a little closer Hebrews 4 verse 2 so the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but the word preached did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith and then verse 3 
says, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day in this wise, that God did rest on the seventh day. What from? From some of his works. From the first six days of creation. No. When it said all his works, he's speaking of everything that's happening now. God didn't only create objects, he created systems. He created processes and he set all of them in motion and they're still operating cyclically and machinery as machinery in their orbit. Hallelujah. He created your forebear many, many millions of years ago or thousands of years ago and you are still operating today. He only made one and the system continued and it has regulating, regulating um, systems to govern those, those processes. The reason we have rest is because God finished everything from the foundation of the world. Einstein teaches a principle of relativity. And he says if you could put a man in a time travel machine and make that man travel faster than the speed of light, he will no longer be in time. Because to travel at the speed of light it means you are no longer in time. And that if that man was in that time machine for 10 years, he would come back and meet all his friends 10 years older than him, and he would be 10 years younger. Because once you are in the light, hallelujah, you are no longer in time. Hallelujah to God. So when we come into perfect light where there's no darkness, your youth becomes renewed like the eagle. That's why people who spend a lot of time in the revelation of the word of God, they keep becoming more and more youthful. And their youth is renewed like the eagle. Their health is strengthened like the unicorn. Hallelujah to God. Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 that God is light. And if you spend time consciously, consciously in him, you are outside of time. Let me prove it to you. When Moses had plateaued in life and life was not life for him, he was on a road somewhat to destruction. He turns and sees the bush burning, not a phantom because bushes normally burn in the Palestine. But what got his attention was this bush burned, but it wasn't being consumed. Why? Because God, who is light, was inside the bush. And for anything to burn, it requires time. But because time was suspended, because the light himself was in the bush, the bush remained evergreen, even though it was producing combustion. I hope you hear me. I declare to somebody that you are going to travel at the speed of God. When we say God speak to you, it's an invitation to live in the light of his word. For when you live there, friends, what is a struggle for others becomes a thing of peace for you. And once you learn how to rest and receive as a result of resting, you begin to rest some more. God is going to teach somebody how to rest by the breakthrough of abundance, the breakthrough of releases in your life before the end of this year. I was looking for my device and I was anxious all over the place but the moment I rested I heard the voice of God say look under that pillow it's there when you rest it's easier to hear from God and rest is not a mattress it's about listening 
to the living word. Can I go a little further? So God lives beyond time. So when he uses the term, my rest, that's what you enter into. I need somebody to please let me have a chair. I'm going to have to cut to the chase. Can I have one chair, please? Or make it two. Two would be quite nice. Thank you. And I wish I could borrow somebody. Um, yes, sir, please come. And so, this is God. He's finished all his work in the earth, completed it. And on the seventh day, he sat down. He's seated, completely seated. And then Christ goes, does his work, and finishes his work on the cross, and he also comes and sits down. Then I believe on Christ, and I sit down at the Father's right hand inside Christ. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees Christ. When God wants to treat me however he wants to treat me, he doesn't treat me based on me because he doesn't see me. He sees Christ. When God wants to lift me up, he doesn't lift me up. He lifts Christ up. And because I'm in Christ, I am lifted up. Hallelujah. And once I retain that consciousness, that consciousness is rest. That whatever God does to Christ, I receive it. Whatever God has for Christ, it is mine. Wherever God has taken Christ, I am there. That's why I am blessed by God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with all spiritual blessings. Where? In the heavenly places where? In Christ. Hallelujah to God. Not just that. He raised us up to sit together in Christ. Where? In these heavenly places. So God is resting. Yet his universe is working. Uh, is Christ Paul in heaven right now? Does he have any any lack of anything is there something that christ needs then why do you lack anything why do we need anything in him we have all things and once we are able to handle it we receive it and half of your handling ability has everything to do with resting don't go anywhere sir john revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 so everything then that God has for you, he already settled it completely, dealt with it totally, so that it's all already done before you get to that point in your life. He knew not to give it to you when you were three days old or three years old. He reserved some things for when you were 21, some for when you were 31, some for when you were 41. He served the best for your latter years. For some, for others, he does it in a different way. But he has planned every detail of your life perfectly. Hallelujah. He completed it. Likewise with Christ. Revelation 13 verse 8. He is the Lamb of God. Slain from the foundation of the world. Hallelujah to God. I believe something is getting ready to happen in somebody's life this Thursday night. Because God sees you in his completed, finished work as whole and healthy. Head and not tail. Above only and not beneath. But pastor, uh, my body hurts. I I'm taking the bus to go to the office every day. Friend, it's not always going to be like that. When you learn to rest in the promises of God rest in the integrity of the promise or all that God has for you will make its weight 
to you so that you start seeing the way he sees because all his works were finished from before the foundation of the world i'll say it to you this way one day i was fortuitous to board a british airways plane flying to the united kingdom i think they call it ba074 and it was a struggle to get through Muritala Mohammed Airport, a nightmare, as you know. The Wahala is plenty. But when I got past immigration, the search, and, and made it past the gate, and the second security search, I eventually walked down the tunnel through the finger to board the plane. And when I got on the plane, the first thing that came down was my blood pressure. The second thing was... In about 30 minutes, we took off and we started flying. Then we got to our cruising altitude. And this is the nose of the plane. I started walking backwards. The plane is going forward at about 550 MPH, but I'm going backwards at about 4 MPH. So even though I'm walking backwards, I'm still going forward. You know why? Because of such is the kingdom of heaven. Once you enter it, you are going forward. And the only thing that you need to understand is that I am in Christ. He is the flight. Wherever he goes, I go. Whatever he has, I have. Whatever he is, I am. As simple as that. As simple as that. Can I work this? Because my time is running out on me. Shout at somebody and tell them, watch out for me. Because by the next time you see me, I won't look like what you see right now. So... He says to us in Mark 11, 24b, whatsoever things you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Let me make it plain. Can I borrow you again, sir? Can you open one pocket? One pocket. So, this is the palace of his promise. But he's ways over here. And he's delighted himself in Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does is he puts desire in his heart for the palace. So that every time he wakes up in the morning, he has a passion for the palace. And this desire is faith. It is the substance of what he's now hoping for. That God put in his heart as a desire because everything he's already given you, he gives you faith for. By putting a desire in your heart. So when he wakes up in the morning, the desire pulls him in that direction. Come on, sir. And trouble tries to stand in his way, but his desire, his faith, as long as that desire is predicated on the word of Christ, his desire will pull him through the struggle. And he leaves all those haters and naysayers behind. And where does he end up? He ends up sitting down like Joseph in his palace. You get it? I don't know who I'm preaching to. But whatever divine desire that God has put down inside your belly, my friend, pray about that. Declare that. Decree that. Believe that. Let nothing else take up that space in your mind. Because friend, if God said it, he will bring it to pass. If you believe it, shout yes, somebody. John 17, verse 4, the B clause. 
Jesus said to the Father, he has not yet gone to the cross. Please be aware of this. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. Yet he had not been to the cross. That meant he could see the cross. That's what he was praying about. And in his prayer, he could see that it was accomplished. Hallelujah. Oh, God, you're not helping me yet. Jesus hasn't been to the cross, but he calls the cross a finished work before he says it is finished. My friends, if we don't enter into the life of rest, we expose our emotions to vulnerability to everything that is being shaken right now. So no matter what goes on in Nigeria, it must not affect you or me. Because we live in a different realm. Our realm is the kingdom of heaven. It's like the British Airways flight. Once you board it, you have certain things available to you. If you don't ask them for Coca-Cola, they won't give you. Hallelujah. You have to rest your faith in him. Not in volatile things uh, and unrooted people, but you have to rest in him. Instead, we want to walk in the finished work. Psalm 23, verse 1 and 2. What did he say? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. And then before he brings all the blessings, what does he do? He said, he makes me to lie down. That's rest. In what a sheep eats, that's word, grass. Beside still waters. That word still is the, is the Greek word manuka, which means restful waters. Can I give you a little more, please? Just a little bit more. Anxiety and worry do not profit you and I at all. I wish I had time to work it better, but I don't. So worry and anxiety choke out the constant supply flow in so many different areas of our lives simply because we chose to be anxious instead of being rested. So God has, hear me, he has financial flow coming in your direction. He has relational associations that will change your life coming in your direction. He has breakthroughs in your accommodation, in your transportation, in your innovation, in your industry for you. But as long as you are anxious, you block the flow. You inhibit the charge. You you repel the flow. Glory to God. God has so much peace, so much charis, so much charisma, so much wisdom, so much favor coming in your direction. But friend, if you're not rested, you don't get to receive it. When you have entered into the rest of God, that's the rest God rested when he finished and sat down on the seventh day. You cease from your own labor. It now brings me to a very important scripture. And that's where I want to spend a few moments with you. Here. Ephesians 2.10 Ephesians 2.10 For we are his masterpieces I'm going to work that Created in Christ Jesus Unto what? Good works Which God has beforehand Ordained that we should walk in them I got on an Airbus one day 
And I went into the cockpit and talked with the pilot. Just wanted to learn a bit about it. That piece of engineering is a phenomenon. It's such an incredible piece of air aviation. They can do many things with it. On the cabin side, it has many incredible ergonomics. On the cabin, on the flight crew side, it's quite an animal. But nobody can operate it except a qualified pilot. My friend, you are even greater than the Airbus 380. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in his likeness and in his image, as in being. That's what you say, be. And the only proper operator for that vehicle is the captain. Likewise, the only proper aviator or rather operator for your life is Jesus Christ. And once he gets into you and you get into him, and that's a miracle by itself, friends, you are going to operate Ephesians 2.10. What does that mean? That you are this masterpiece of creation, just like Jesus, who is our prototype. Hallelujah to God. That means anything he can do, we can. And because he's the masterpiece, you are a masterpiece. And there are works predestined for you to the particular day that it was destined to happen. That's God's plan. And you will enter into that day because you see it. Give you a few examples very quickly. The man with the withered hand, you remember him? On the Sabbath day, he appears before Christ. Christ sees him and sees him without the withered hand. But the man's hand is still withered. But because of what he saw, he did the audacious and said, stretch out your hand. And the Bible said it became as normal as the other. Why? He had seen it ahead of time. Hallelujah. You remember the widow of Nain's son. She had buried her husband, was now burying her only remaining breadwinner. And he's lamenting all the way to the cemetery. Christ appears there. And he says to the woman, having compassion upon her, weep not goes to the buyer and does the audacious. He spoke to a dead man as if he was alive. He said, young man, arise. And the young man came back to life. He would never have done that if he didn't see it first. A leper comes to him and, and he says, have mercy on me. What does Jesus say to him? He says, do you believe that I can do this? He says, yeah, I believe. Do it. And Jesus said, you are cleansed. And instantly he was cleansed. He walks into Jairus' home and he sees this woman or sees this dead girl in her, in her father's house. And he shuts the door behind, keeps a few people of faith there in the space with him. He takes her hand and he says, young lady, arise. How do you say something so insane if you haven't seen it before? I know some of you are querying, so let's go to one that is very clear. Jesus is yonder from Bethany, far away from Bethany. A message reaches him that Lazarus, whom thou lovest, is sick nigh unto death. And he says, I'm not going to touch him. And he remains a few days. Then he clarifies it to them when they come and tell him that Lazarus is now dead. He says, he's only sleeping. Then he makes it clear and says, he is dead, but this sickness is not unto death. I will go and raise him up. 
And he does not get there before Lazarus dies. He gets there four days later. And when he arrives, he says to the girls, only believe and you will see the glory of God. Hallelujah. And the other girl comes and he says the same thing to her. And he says, okay, show me where you stopped believing. Show me where you buried him and you felt like he would never come back again. And they walk him to the site. He says, Father, I'm basically praying this prayer for their benefit because you and I know that I can think him out of the grave. I can just think him out. I don't have to say anything because he had foreseen it already. He was actually setting up for his great triumphal entry into Jerusalem, of which Bethany is one of the gateway cities. Why did all these things happen? Because he had foreseen them. There is a level of rest that the believer will yet come into where you will see tomorrow before tomorrow happens. I promise you, this magnificent edifice, our bishop saw it before he built it. That's why nothing could stop him from bringing it into the powerful and wonderful state that it's in today. The things that we do in the body, we see them beforehand. That's why we will not be denied them. This is what Paul was saying in Ephesians 2 and verse 10. What I'm simply trying to tell you, my time is up, is that my friend, my promise to you is that if you enter into God's rest and spend your labor not for things, but in understanding the word of God and commanding the light of God to shine in your life and in the caverns of your being, then something is going to happen. You will see that everything that pertains to your future to your life to your destiny has already been settled in heaven and has an appointed time on earth and when that time comes there will be nothing that you can do to resist it it will surely happen in your life do you not know then that even when you make mistakes on earth there are no mistakes in God and I'll end on this note every time God wants to fulfill his purpose in your life he must have a plan and we know according to Jeremiah's prophecy that his plans concerning you are good not evil but with a plan he must have a strategy because to effect the plan there must be a strategy so Joseph I'm going to get you to the palace of the promise because I need you to facilitate Egypt into his purpose and then Egypt will bring Joseph or rather Israel into nationhood but how am I going to do this? He's come from a polygamous home and everybody hates everybody else in that family. And now Joseph is born and his father does not hide his love for the boy. He favors him above all of them. And to make it worse, he monumentally erects an edifice upon his life called the coat of many colors. So they already had hatred from the existence of polygamy. And now he has the coat of many colors, the hatred gets worse. Then God's favor on his life makes him dream dreams like that gentleman's desire to be in the palace. And he's so young at 17, he's braggadocious. And he tells them, your harvest, I'm going to bow down to my harvest. And he expects his 10 older brothers and some of them are the house girl's children. And he didn't stop there. They hated him more. Then he now says, you see, the 12 stars and the sun and the moon said they will bow down to me. And they say you. When the opportunity came, 
God used their hatred that had burgeoned into an assassination conspiracy to trigger his destiny. Because God could not make Joseph what he was to become in Canaan. It had to happen in Egypt. Do you get it? So what happens now? He's in the pit. Reuben, who is of better ilk and pedigree than Bilhan Zilpah's sons, he negotiates to put him in the pit rather than kill him. Judah, in whom the genetics of Christ are already embedded, for Christ will come from that line, now negotiates his sale to, to Egypt. And the Midianites come. By the way, the Midianites or the Ishmaelites were Abraham's mistake. So you see how God plans everything? So the things you did wrong, you got wrong, that they got wrong, and everything around you got wrong. God had already factored them into his plan. Because all these were foreordained, Ephesians 2.10, good works into which you will enter in. Because we are called to be conformed to the image of Christ. That has everything to do with destiny, but it also has everything to do with character. So that by the time you get to your palace, Joseph, of the fulfillment of all God's promises, your character will be commensurate to the weight of the glory. So that the glory doesn't mess you up. Instead, you can handle it. So going through the pit, the slave chains, Potiphar's house, the false accusation, into the prison yard, all that, it works to get him ready for a day ordained when he will get to the palace. And he will have the character and the gift competence, now a skill, to be able to answer the Pharaoh exactly with an excellent spirit. Everything in your future is ordained. But when you rest, you will see it clearly. The greatest prayer you can pray, post-salvation, post the reception of the Holy Ghost, is let there be light. And Paul said that same prayer in many different words. Colossians 1, Philippians 1, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. He prayed prayers of light. That Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith, the fullness thereof. How? By comprehending the love of God. That is beyond comprehension. Lift those hands. I want to pray for a moment. And I want you to speak in other tongues if you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We pray in an understanding for the things we understand. But there are some things we are dealing with. Some of the mysteries of your unfolding life. And some of the challenges in our country that sometimes affect our own existence. That's why it's important that we pray in the mystery, the language of the mystery. Habahas biri kato ragas kite liba garal ish bigilia sutra gasko tanta labigidia sete lebedia. Not out of time, but I'm out of message. Shigara bakadrigo sete legedias mi gaze brege de le se ba shugada bagada gadabada shugabagada gadagadabada yakabala balaba satala laba balabaza yepragasa kakaya salabadaya. Hear me now for a brief moment. Moses said, show me your glory. God said, you can't see my glory and live. He said, but there's Christ, sorry, a cleft in the rock beside me. I will hide you there, cover your eyes with my hand, and I will make all my goodness pass before you. Everything me will pass before you. And when I pass, I will take my hand away, and he did. And Moses looked at God's back parts. God does not have a behind because he doesn't pass ways. So when he saw the back parts of God, he was immediately transported into creation. The first day of creation. Where there was no man at all. 
And Moses started to write in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God brooded upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Friends, I put it to you that the earth was not without form, and it was not void. That's what Moses saw, because he didn't have light, and the earth was covered in a veil of darkness. But God, who is light, saw everything inside the earth. And the only time he uses the word bara is at the first verse, when he created the heavens and the earth. In subsequent verses, he just says, come forth or bring forth. And fish, birds, cows, cattle, trees begun to come out from inside the earth. In the same way, God who commanded that light to shine in darkness has shined the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into this earth into your earth because inside you are great treasure tools we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power would be of god and not of us i want you to call light and begin to declare let there be light in my life let there be light in my family because once you have the light of this great gospel the same power that shined in the darkness at creation and brought all the bounty and the beauty, all the glory and the splendor out from a veiled earth that looked empty and void. It's the same way out of what might look like an emptiness now, what might look like nothingness, what might look like void in your personal experience right now. When that light shines, you will see. And once you see, you will command. Once you command, as you declare, it will happen. Because as he is, so are you. He calls those things that are not as though they are and they become what he said i want you to begin to declare glory shall be seen in your life what is glory glory is the full expression of the true value of a thing or a person your true value has not yet been fully seen your true worth is not yet fully known to humanity it might not even be known to you and i yet but when you command the light to shine what is buried inside of you hidden for such a time as this hidden for the closing epoch era of the church age it will begin to bud it will begin to come forth it will shine it will show the glory of god will be seen in your life you're carrying glory in you but like moses he could not see it until god gave him light so that Moses would understand from God commanding the light to shine that that is God's pattern. That wherever something looks broke and busted, disgusted and hopeless, he has something there. He chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He chooses the base things of this existence to confound the mighty. He uses the least likely to do the most mighty. And he delights in using people who do not think much of themselves. Then the light shines. They begin to understand that you are God's treasure trove. That the riches of the glory of his inheritance, he put it in you. He intends to inherit a great Nigeria. And he wants to inherit it from you. You have just one more minute. And so lift that right hand with me. Say, Heavenly Father. I thank you that I am your image, I am your likeness for the sake of high productivity that I might walk in dominion in this earth. I believe you have buried inside my inner parts 
the wonders of the world that the world has not yet seen and I declare just like you did at the beginning to the veil of darkness upon my life let there be light say it again let there be light in my life not only natural light but the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the name of Jesus my life will no longer be covered by darkness the rich treasure trove of innovation of great ability of gifts that I do not know I carry of opportunities that are on my path I declare come forth I declare come forth I declare come forth I declare come forth now break out in your heavenly language for just another few seconds sometimes Joseph your trial your trouble is a trigger for God to navigate you into what he ordained before the foundation of the earth he allowed the hatred of Joseph's brothers because it will become the trigger to release him to the vicinity where his blessing his mantle and his favors were already waiting for him an open door in part of his house to learn general management then an accusation that will bring him close to his facilitator though it looked down because it was a prison it was up because it was next to the man who would bring him to Pharaoh I feel the power of God on your life hear me if God has a 10,000 tree orchard for you 10,000 apple trees 10,000 orange trees 10,000 banana trees he doesn't give you an orchard with 10,000 trees he gives you a seed so we're looking for the oak tree but he says humble yourself look for the acorn says I'm giving you an orchard but you're looking for a big a big field with many trees he says no here's a little seed can you be faithful in little so I can make you ruler over much because I want to see can you handle one seed to make it ten trees can you handle ten trees to make it a hundred can you take care of a hundred by resting in my word to make it ten thousand he who is faithful in little be faithful over much I strongly believe that to every believer there's great multiplication once you find your productivity you will fill the earth with your product once you can rest even more and every level of the divine commandment the first commandment God gave man be fruitful multiply replenish the earth and subdue it that means the earth will give you dues for your productivity that causes you to enter dominion the result of that is simply this every level of increase causes you to rest more once you see God giving you rewards for rest and your rest is when he quote-unquote labors it increases your ability to rest so you can increase your ability to receive I believe there's abundance coming in your direction we put a seed in this ministry because this ministry has covered us it has protected us it has given us inspiration and direction and I put a number in and we instructed the Treasury Committee to help us and they did 
But when I was sitting down there, God put something else in my heart. We'll redeem it by tomorrow. I want to challenge you to sow into the word you have heard this conference from the giants like Dr. Otabil, Pastor Adeboye, Pastor Ayorisha Jaffo, Bishop Tudor Bismarck. I'm just the pipsqueak on the team. I want you to sow a word, sow a seed into your future. I'm not doing anything less than seven digits. I don't have it, I need it. But you see, if what you have in your hand is not enough to do what you need it to do, then it's a seed. It's not a harvest. And so I'm sowing a seed towards my harvest. Thank you for listening to another message. God's blessing be with you now and forever. For counseling, email trem at tremusa.org. Remain blessed.